Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, it's Maggie, and I am here with Liz. Liz, let's just get started. What was happening in your life when you decided to seek psychotherapy? I had just moved in with uh, my long-term boyfriend at the time. So I had been living by myself for a few years um, and uh, dating him for almost the exact same amount of time. And he moved into my apartment. And it was kind of a moment where uh, all of these things that uh, I had been doing and the way I had been living my life sort of uh, were now being seen through somebody else's eyes <laughs> and I could see him seeing the things that I did. Um, obviously we've been dating for a long time. So he knew that I am a, uh, quirky person. So <laughs> nothing was a surprise to him, but it, that was looking back. I think that was kind of the moment, um, where it, it was something that I had been thinking about for a long time. And it kind of became clear that it was something that I, that I, had to do. Although it had been something I think that I had been avoiding for years as well. And uh, yeah, so so I had had um, had thought about it and, and having also worked in health communications, it's something that I had put into I, advice that I put out into the world to other people all the time. And it was uh, advice that I just like kept not choosing to take for myself until I had somebody else in my space kind of seeing um, uh, what what my life was like and, and seeing it through his eyes too. Kind of also kind of hit kind of a crisis moment, I think. Yeah, so there's a, number, there's a number of things that I wanna follow up there. First, it's common that in a transition, um, patterns that have been uh, creating and maintaining and even building stress and anxiety can suddenly kind of tip over the edge and take you to a breaking point. So whether that's, you know, going to college, getting a new job, moving somewhere, moving in with someone, um, getting married, getting into a new relationship, mm-hmm. all those types of things, those transitions are oftentimes that people seek psychotherapy. So that completely makes sense. Are you willing to be more specific when you're saying you're a little bit quirky? Are you, are you willing <laughs> to be more specific about um, what he saw as soon as he moved in with you? Yeah. So um, we've been dating for a, a while, like I said, um, and we had like a real routine down for years and years um, where I would, he lived in the city, I live in the suburbs, and um, I work close 
close to where he used to live. And so I would go over to his place one or two nights a week. He couldn't come to my place during the week because of where he worked. Um, and then he would come to my place over the, on the weekend. So from like Friday to Saturday nights, and then he would leave at 11 a.m. on Sunday. And I think even the fact that that was like such a routine for really long was like very comforting for me. I knew where I had to be when. But then it would be Sunday afternoon and um, it would, I just would lose every Sunday afternoon to like an OCD episode is what I now know what it was. I'm sure we will talk about this yeah. in it coming up, but it was like I would have spent the you know day and a half spending time with him uh, and, and then I uh, would have all my like things to do to get ready for the week um, for Monday in, the, in that Sunday afternoon and would have like crisis moment after crisis moment about laundry is a recurring theme yeah. <laughs> for me. And so um, when he moved in, that whole routine was like completely upended. And um, I, ended, I ended up kind of feeling stuck like I would those Sunday afternoons for a lot more of, of my time. Um, so yeah, he knew that he knew that I was quirky and that like he had seen me be unable to leave the house because I would be spiraling about laundry, and he he we would have to change plans because of that. Um, he also it took me uh, I can't even remember how long now, but I didn't even tell my family about him for two or three years. They still don't know. <laughs> how long we've been dating for. I will never tell them. <laughs> how long? I am a pretty, looking back at it now, I'm a pretty private person. Um, and I'm fine with that. That's just part of who I am. But um, it was something that I felt uncomfortable telling them about it. And then I avoided it for so long that it turned into this huge um huge internal issue that was a non-issue to everybody else as soon as it as soon as I was my hand was forced <laughs> yeah so great to hear it that's something that you felt shame about potentially but then as soon as you talked about it and everyone responded with normalization and validation you no longer felt badly about it yeah yeah I I felt a lot of shame about it and a lot of guilt and I still do and every now and then my mom will say something like wait, remind me, how long is it that you've been dating? <laughs> um, like playing it cool. But uh, I don't know, probably that's something that I should uh, address. And she knows that it was a long time, but I have never come clean about how long of a time it was that we were together. Not just like him not meeting them, them knowing about him. Yes. Interesting. Okay. So we may get more into the content in the next episode, although we might have a little bit of time for it in this episode, but in the next one in particular, we definitely will. In this one, I want to go back to what you were saying about how despite being in health communications and like knowing theoretically and cognitively that psychotherapy is good for self-care, there's nothing wrong, it's, there's no shame in seeking out mental health services, mm -hmm. and in fact, it can help people thrive. Can you say more about why you avoid it for yourself yeah um, um, it felt it felt like something that I should do that I was subconsciously nervous about um, and the more I avoided it 
the more I avoided it, if that makes sense. Um, I did, I think that it, it, it also got caught up in a little bit of uh, shame as well, because uh, there has frequently been a narrative where um, I feel like the should do's, I should be able to do laundry without losing an afternoon. I should tell my mom of, that I've been dating my partner for two years. Um, I should seek therapy because I, I know that I would benefit from it. Um, th then when I feel, when I have felt stuck about that thing and unable to start it, uh, there's a, a lot of like self-criticism that happens where um, it's it, the, the refrain is almost like, how come you're not an adult enough to just like pull yourself together and do this? And then, and then that furthers it where, where I'm even less likely to, to do the thing that I should do. Yeah. And, and can you tell what makes you believe that self -crit so this um first off can you tell where that voice of self-criticism is coming from like when did you start being self-critical about things that you should do um some of it some of it came later in life i mean i've always i've always held myself to really high standards and had that kind of perfectionist tendency i think mm -hmm. is what relates to it but Weirdly, the health communication stuff, like there's a lot of anti-anxiety anti kind of methods that you read about or that I inherited from my family. My, my, my parents might have told me something as like a tactic that they thought would help. Um, and I feel like those methods didn't work the way that they should have worked, that, I, that people said that they worked for other people. <laughs> Can you give me an example? Are you, is there anything coming to mind off the top of your head that you, you thought something should work and when it didn't, you felt shame and self-criticism? Yeah. Um, uh, sleep. That's something that, you know, like you get enough sleep and I, you know, all through my early twenties, like I definitely didn't get enough sleep, but probably I was doing fun things. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I had my first job and I was, I would be really tired and anxious during the day. And I, uh, hit, there was a point where I was like, oh, I just need to sleep more, duh. Um, and, but, but it, it became an issue because then I would, I had an app where for like three years straight, I tracked uh, my sleep every night. I, uh, it would, said it told you like the quality of how well you slept and I would look at that every morning and I would start to um, sh really kind of like be anxious about how much time I was going to sleep in advance. So every night I would be feeling really stuck and unable to get off my couch and start getting ready for bed because I would already be worried about how much I would sleep. And I'd be counting down like, okay, if I start getting ready for bed now, then I'll have, maybe I can sleep for seven hours. And then an hour would go past where I, where it would just get harder and harder to, to break myself out of that cycle. And, and like sleep on its own is a thing that people need to do. And that probably does help me um, not be anxious, but. Uh, it sounds like you were stuck in a paradox. Yeah. Like the, more, the more perfectly you were trying to sleep, the harder it was to, to make the conditions likely for your body to fall asleep. Exactly. Um, 
Yes, and the sleep and anxiety are so similar. So I'll just reinforce this message that um, just like with anxiety, the, the paradoxical effort that actually Sally Winston talked about a lot a couple episodes back is that the more you try to make it go away, the, the more likely it is to occur. And so you're rather than trying to make it go away, you're trying to cultivate an attitude that makes it likely that you can bring your anxiety along or that you can... Um, you know, do your value-based activity with the, with the anxiety there, and it'll likely peak and pass when you're not resisting against it. Um, so similarly, uh, with sleep, you're trying to just make the conditions likely for your body to fall asleep because your body knows how to sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so I can imagine way back when that wasn't quite the message you were hearing and you were just trying to control the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and getting it getting really compulsive about how much time and yeah, control was a, for sure a big thing. Hence the tracking with the app. Yeah. And then getting back to the self-criticism, you tried more and more to control when you couldn't control it. You were saying, I should be able to do this. And because I can't, now I need, now I'm self-critical and ashamed. Mm -hmm. And then how did that relate to seeking out help? So uh, my boyfriend moved in. He also quit his job in order to seek a job transition. All of a sudden, I was, I'd never supported him, but I was at least emotionally supporting him through that. Um, uh, I, you know, he was living with me on the, on the weeknights where I would be stuck on my couch and unable to get up and go to sleep. And that's the kind of thing that he could, he could see now that, or I could, someone I could see someone else seeing me do and it made me look at it in a new light um and I also uh around that time he he encouraged me to and I started reaching out to a couple of people in my life who I knew had had been to therapy as well to ask for their experiences and actually my little brother um who started uh kind of gently trying to help hold me accountable to actually following through because he knew it was something I told him it was something that I wanted to do, but I was having a hard time uh, kicking that off. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, uh, I had a moment where I was driving home from my parents, having fully spiraled about laundry and just like sobbing in the car and was a point where then I had to walk into my house and explain to Adam why I was sobbing or my boyfriend, why I was sobbing. <laughs> and, um, that was the point where it felt like, like bottom for me. Always, yeah, it's I, always the laundry. So at this point, the listeners are probably wondering what is it about the laundry? So are you willing <laughs> to, are you willing to explain, um, how your OCD would hijack your laundry experience? Yeah, it was a lot of worry about, uh, I live in a building with lots of units and I'd have to um, navigate some what felt like really complicated social interactions where like, I don't want to use all of the machines and you have to, it gets quite competitive. It does objectively suck to do laundry in my building, <laughs> but it became like this whole internal thing where I would plan it out and, and sit and worry about it and feel stuck and not be able to start and then feel really ashamed about not being able to just like do laundry and then anyone, anyone who would, I would say like, I can't, I need to block off all of Sunday now to do my laundry and I can't do this thing. And people would offer like really reasonable solutions. Like, oh, how about you just 
um, do it here or like you can I'll help like you can we can hang out while you do laundry and um, all of that it, it felt impossible it felt like this impossible thing that I would have to do every week and I simultaneously felt a lot of shame for it feeling so impossible yes that all, that makes sense and so the combination really of your shame of thinking you should be able to do something a certain way, then having anxiety about how the interactions might go sounds like a version of inflated responsibility that we can talk about next time. Mm -hmm. And then shame on top of that was just mm -hmm. has really been causing a lot of stuff, you a lot of suffering. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, great. Okay. I'm glad that we have that um, shared conceptualization. Um, how did you eventually, so I guess you were saying, you had a, a number of different people gave you positive encouragement to seek out psychotherapy. How did you overcome your own self-criticism and shame about it? Um, I don't know how I did that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, 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 I think what really helped is one of my friends who I talked to told me the first time that you go that she went anyway, she just sobbed. Um, and so the first time I had a phone consult, I just sobbed through it. <laughs> and- um, It's okay to cry. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, I, I was at work in like a conference room just sobbing and was like, oh, I really regret <laughs> doing this in the middle of the day. <laughs> um, hey, uh, that is very good advice. Yeah. If you are afraid to seek out psychotherapy, um, doing it, making that initial call from the comfort of your home is a very good idea. Not yep. that there's anything wrong with crying, but it's true that if you're suddenly in a more emotionally um, stimulating conversation than you expected to be, being in your car or being at work just can suddenly be, um, really for you, it can suddenly disrupt your day in a way that you weren't expecting. Mm -hmm. So it should be something that you're like thinking this could stir up emotion for me. So I want to be prepared for what I'm going to do afterwards. Mm -hmm. um, go back to your experience, Liz. I think that, I think that talking to other people about it too, the more that, that we've worked together, um, like being able to, to uh, speak what it is that's making me feel the shame. And I think that's where the self-criticism came from, kind of the same place. So uh, without doing it super consciously, I think probably that is how I defeated the self-criticism. Uh, was by uh, speaking it out loud to those people in my life who I knew would understand. Yes, that's wonderful. So that's a big part of uh, why I care so deeply about Huddle. So this podcast is sponsored by an online group therapy program called Huddle.Care. And what I love most about it is the reduction in shame because shame gives us the urge to hide and withdraw and we can't make, we can't prevent ourselves from feeling shame, but we can overcome shame by sharing it. So mm -hmm. you're giving many examples of noticing that you were feeling shame. Maybe you didn't have the word for that at that time, but you basically noticed a, a should and then you shared it with other people and eventually it came down mm -hmm. and doesn't bother you as much. Um, which is great to hear. Thank you for that example. Can you say what was most helpful for you in the beginning of psychotherapy? Yeah. Um, I thought that I would come in and that it would be, I would go like eight times and I would learn some tactics that would stop me from feeling anxious. Um, and That's not my, what you did? Nope. <laughs> 
Tell us more. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> I was like, I came in and I was like, oh, here's some tactics that I have. One includes singing loudly in my head, so I don't have any thoughts <laughs> when I'm in the shower. <laughs> and um, so that turned out was it helping me? <laughs> um, and so I think the first thing that really helped was kind of almost learning about like the biological cues um, and, and uh, predispositions. And then kind of, I had a slow, but, but important mindset shift in which I, I w- learned in the first couple, one or two sessions that I was in fact, never going to not feel anxious. Um, and that that wasn't the goal. Great. Yes. How come? Why, why won't, why can't you achieve the goal of never being anxious? And in fact, why is that not a good goal for you? It's a, cause it's, you know, that back to the biological response. It's that, it's that internal, I am biologically predispositioned to feel that spike of anxiety, but it also is a normal and human thing and a appropriate feeling to have in many situations um, where your fight flight or freeze is triggered for whatever reason and the goal should not be to like numb that permanently that would probably be dangerous (laughs) yes I completely agree with you yeah just so basically whenever we perceive a threat there's always a chance we're going to have fight or flight some bodies have more um, anxiety sensitivity so they feel that fight or flight more intensely and they have their the catastrophic thoughts that come with it are stickier Um, but yeah it's completely normal natural healthy and adaptive and it would be dangerous if we never could feel fear or anxiety Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. really happy to hear that that kind of sunk in for you within one or two sessions and then once you shifted to I'm not trying to make my anxiety go away but rather I'm trying to live a rich full and meaningful life along with the possibility of anxiety and not resist or avoid my anxiety when it shows up how did things change for you like what what was its impact and and what's happening a little bit for you now um one of the biggest the impact of that the biggest impact has been um noticing when those things flare up for me um and and um not necessarily spending all of my time trying to figure out why and kind of untangling that because there's you know second spirals and third spirals of of what goes on but noticing that 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 flare up and then adopting a mindset of like this being a good chance to practice um not not leaning into it and and bracing against it um so that i that i don't end up stuck for hours that has been the biggest shift for me and uh, apps like the anxiety challenger app have really helped therapy obviously has been like the biggest thing um and and you know there's still ups and downs always but like coming at it from the perspective of this is my chance to to practice and and put a positive spin on it and also um think of it as a each time is a way that i am inviting more flexibility into my life um has been a really big shift for me. That is a great shift. Just can you elaborate a little bit more on why every moment that you have anxiety, why is that an opportunity for you? 
Yeah, so rather than all of those tactics like that I mentioned before, I would sing loudly in my head in the shower. Um, I would wait every night. I would feel really nervous or just start start being really compulsive about how, how much time I had to go to sleep. I would think about laundry for hours and hours before I could actually do it. Um, and I would feel all that shame about it. Um, now, uh, thinking about each moment as like, aha, this is a chance to practice me, me um, feeling the anxiety and acknowledging it, not avoiding it, um, but also not like leaning into it even further and just, just like furthering it. Um, just the act of noticing it and saying, this is a moment to practice. That's it. That's, it feels really simple to say like, you're, oh, all I'm doing is noticing it and thinking, hey, it's a chance to practice. But, but it's kind of everything. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. It's not, it's not just, it is everything because the way that you're responding in every given, in any given moment is a process. And so if you can switch out of the content, so in your case, the content is laundry, but if you can switch out of whatever catastrophic thought your mind is stuck on and whatever urge your mind has to do something to make that, um, those sensations and those thoughts go away and shift it into overall, I want a process that's flexible. I want a process that's um, observational. It's curious. It's compassionate. It's courageous. Um, all these, all these other attributes that make your, your internal experience more likely to be, um, I guess, rich, full and meaningful, like not, not always happy, not always joyful, but but basically, if you're not fighting against sadness, you're not fighting against anxiety or any other unpleasant uh, feeling or sensation, you just have more time where um, you're, there's variability in your internal experience and then it, it feels more um, free to you, flexible mm -hmm. to you. Um, and so I completely agree with you that if you see any moment where you're stuck, as a moment that you get to practice the new strategy and the new process, then not only does it make that moment um, into something that you can see as a challenge and you don't like resist against it and kind of hate yourself for having it, but everything ties together and feels very meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and afterwards, like I give myself a, a point in the app and it, and it feels, it feels great. And it changes this whole moment around from like, uh, where I, I, yeah, I hate myself for, for feeling like this in the first place to, to, um, feeling like I'm taking a step in the right direction, even though I had, a what could have been a negative flare up and how I would have thought about it before. Instead, it is like a, uh, yeah, another step in the right direction. Wow. Well, so why don't we end on that? Thank you so much for sharing, Liz. Next week, we'll talk more about the specifics of what you've experienced and how you've overcome them. But thanks for introducing yourself to us, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.